Blog Talk Radio. From Life in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome collaborative problem-solving at home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, Let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hey there. Welcome to the program. You know, every time I hear that music, I think, um, well, those of you who've been listening to the program know that that music means um, help and hope. Cloud or problem solving is a very hopeful approach. It has a respectful view of kids and um, gives people a lot of hope that things can be better than they are now. Of course, making things better is hard, but at least there's hope that it's possible. Um, But that's what this program is for, help and hope. And uh, every time I'm tempted to change that intro music, I think to myself, well, uh, that intro music has become familiar to a lot of people who are um, listening to this program in search of help and hope, and um, hopefully uh, having some success understanding their challenging kids better than they are, better than they were, and uh, helping them and helping make things better, better than they were. But as always, these are your 45 minutes. I don't have any planned phone calls today. Wasn't the um, Wasn't the parents' panel cool last week? Um, I think it will go down as one of my most fun programs that I've done, and the best part is we get to do it every month, um, once a month. And, geez, if it's going to be that much fun, who knows? Maybe we'll do it more often than that. But um, uh, the parents' panel will be back again uh, in November. And uh, so will, for those of you who sometimes listen to both programs, the educators panel. That starts next month as well, where I will be joined by uh, a group of educators who are uh, at various phases of implementing the collaborative problem-solving approach and helping challenging kids in buildings. Um, uh, But these are your 45 minutes. Uh, This is the uh, program about collaborative problem-solving at home. so how's it going at home? Um, I'm always struck just by the number of email I, um, emails I receive from people who are just so desperate and um, so at a loss and um, having such a hard time. And uh, that's what this program is for as well. There is hope. There is help. You do have hard work ahead of you, but uh, you're not alone. And um, there's lots of other folks who've been in that situation and lived to tell the tale, and not only lived to tell the tale, but um, came through it and now have uh, a cool relationship with their kid to show for it and 
pretty cool outcomes in the kit as well. And yet, uh, once again, doing it is hard. Uh, there are kids who don't respond immediately to Plan B. Sometimes that's because they've had so much Plan A that it, it's become what they expect from people. So it's not like kids throw a party just because we are now doing Plan B there. A lot of kids have sort of taken the uh, the proofs in the pudding mentality. Um, I don't usually recommend that people make big announcements to kids that they're doing things differently because um, I find that that is frequently accompanied by eye-rolling in the kid who's had many uh, family initiatives begun and um, not last very long. So there are kids who uh, don't respond very well to Plan B. They I don't make I don't recommend that people make big announcements. We're doing this thing now. <clears throat> the proof's going to be in the pudding. If you're going to be doing it, you don't need to announce that you're doing it. Um, there are kids who have trouble doing Plan B because, um, you know, when you ask them what their concerns are, they they haven't given their concerns a, a moment's thought for quite a long time. They've been busy having their concerns blown off the table. That's Plan A, doing that. Um, so there's lots of reasons that kids don't respond initially to Plan B. Um, that there's lots of adults who have trouble doing Plan B in the beginning. Um, the empathy step is hard. Drilling for information, hard. Getting your own concerns on the table, hard. Um, brainstorming solutions and running with the one that is mutually satisfactory and realistic, hard. Luckily, there's lots of uh, prior and now recorded radio programs on the Lives in the Balance website that you could listen to, to if you're having trouble with any aspect of that. And the good news is that the audio programming on the website is now organized so that you can find what you're looking for more easily. Um, lots of folks out there who are having success using Plan B at home but are having trouble getting the folks at school to uh, buy into the mentality. Kids do all if they can. This kid could do well, he would do well, lagging skills, unsolved problems. Um, that's, I'm sorry to report, still foreign language for a lot of uh, challenging schools of challenging kids. And lots of times there's a, one person in the family who's bought into collaborative problem solving and trying plan B and maybe even getting good at it. And But unfortunately the co-parent or the grandparents or the coaches aren't buying in so that there are still flare-ups, especially when the kid is with an adult who is wearing completely different lenses and conducting themselves in a way that just lights the fuse. We cover all that stuff in this program. And so this is your weekly opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the help you need, get the support you need, start feeling hopeful again. This is your 45-minute weekly dose of collaborative problem solving, your chance to kick back and um, plan and get yourself organized and make sure you got the right lenses on. And if you're not the calling in type, then you can just listen to others who are calling in. Um, and if you don't want to call in but do want to send me a question electronically, you can do that through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. I check it throughout the uh, program, 
and that's uh, www.livesinthebalance.org. The call-in number, if you feel like calling, is 347-994-2981. So um, we do have some email that once again has piled up, as you know. Um, I turn to the email whenever we don't have callers, and I don't really have a topic for the day because some of these uh, emails are um, plenty of topic for an entire program. But, uh, of course, as always, if we do get callers, then we will um, give them top billing and top priority. Um, here's an email. Dr. Green, you say kids do all if they can. You don't think kids do all if they want to is accurate. Well, my life experience tells me that we humans are by nature selfish. We often do the wrong thing because we want our way. Humans in general don't do well, but rather look out for themselves and their own desires. This is part of the human condition. Saying that kids would do well if they could flies in the face of what I see in everyday living. What leads you to say that kids do well if they can? I love it. It's a great question. Um, I agree that uh, humans look out for their own best interests, generally speaking. Um, we do what we think is best for us. How we do it is where the rubber meets the road because there are ways to do things that are good for you that are at the very least not bad for others. Don't hurt others. Don't offend others. Don't embarrass others. Although I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on this. Um, you know, there's the old philosophical question, are humans innately good or innately bad? I would agree that we do tend to look out for our own self-interest, starting the minute we pop out. What's in our best self-interest when we pop out? Breathing. Then eating. And then if you want to feel okay if you're a newborn, at some point you're going to want to pee and poop, and those are in your best interest as well. So yeah, I get it. We uh, do look out for our own best interest, but part of being human, no accident that hum the word humane comes from human, being human and being socialized means that at some point you come to recognize that others have needs as well and that getting your own way in a way that is offensive to others, harms others, embarrasses others, is hurtful to others, um, is not the way to go. That's a crucial part of the socialization process. Kids do that if they can. They pursue their own self-interest in ways that are not hurtful to others. Kids who are lacking skills of, for example, impulse control, um, recognizing how their behavior is affecting other people, um, recognizing how they're coming across. 
kids who are lacking those and some other very important skills may be having a great deal of difficulty pursuing their own self-interest in ways that are not harmful and not hurtful to others. But if they could pursue their own self-interest in ways that were not hurtful and not embarrassing to others, they would, because that's part of being socialized, and that's, quite frankly, part of the definition of doing well. If you're having trouble doing well in that way, then you're going to be getting into trouble. And I wouldn't call that doing well. Um, So it's an interesting question. I agree that we do look out for ourselves, but part of becoming socialized is looking out for oneself in a way that is not offensive or hurtful or harmful to others. And then along the way, something else also kicks in. You start to recognize that others have feelings and others have their own best interests and others are interested in pursuing their best interests as well. For society to function and for relationships to function, let's not get too grandiose here, but for relationships to function, people need to take each other's concerns into account because your concerns are your way of saying this is how this is not working for me. This is how this is not in my best interest. This is something I'm struggling with. In collaborative problem solving, you're getting the concerns of both parties on the table. Otherwise, this simply becomes a contest of wills in which two parties, often adult and child, are um, engaged in a power struggle uh, in which both are trying to figure out how to get the advantage on getting what they want and what they want is what they perceive to be in their best interests and many parents parent that way many parents parent saying well the expression my way or the highway is a good example of here's what i think is in my best interest not only that here's what i think is in your best interest kid and i'm not all that interested in hearing from you about this That's a power struggle, and plan A begets plan A. You want to have a kid looking out only for out for his best interests. Do plan A, and he'll plan A you back eventually. With plan A, you are blowing the concerns of the other party off the table. With plan B, you are not only taking the concerns of the other party under consideration, you are devoted to finding a solution that's going to address not only your own concern, but also the kid's concern. Doing well means not only looking out for your own best interest, but being able to take another's self-interest into account, another's concerns into account, and working towards solutions that take the concerns of both parties into account. Um, that's doing well. That's being socialized. That's collaborative problem solving. In many families, trouble between parent and adult is caused by adult using the sheer force of their will, often with adult-imposed consequences attached, to try to get the kid to be something 
that he or she doesn't have the skills to be yet and to get the kid to look a way that the adult has decided he should look, totally ignoring the fact that if the kid could do well, he would do well, and totally ignoring the fact that it is lagging skills in the kid that is contributing in a major way to why he's not doing well in the way that the adult wished they would. A very important part of collaborative problem solving is coming to a clear understanding of who your kid is. One of the key themes of collaborative problem solving is that the goal of good parenting is to be, the definition of good parenting is to be responsive to the hand you've been dealt. A lot of challenging episodes between adult and child occur because the adult is not so clear in, on what the hand they've been dealt and is continuing to try to get the kid to look in a way that the kid may not presently be capable of looking because he's lacking the skills to look that way. Sheer force of adult will won't get the kid to look that way. Under most cases, I've seen makes things worse. Good to have an agenda for your kid. Even better to know your kid well enough to have a sense of whether your kid is ready to meet that agenda yet. Even better to have a good sense of what lagging skills are making it difficult for your kid to meet your expectations, and even better, teaching the kid the skills he's lacking so that he's able to meet your expectations at some point down the road. Now, there's one other possibility. It's possible that you may come to the conclusion that some of your expectations aren't going to get met because of something about your kid, certainly not going to be met any time soon, in which case that's where Plan C comes in. Those are the things that you are dropping completely, at least for now, or adapting or accommodating, quite frankly, just like you would with any a kid with any other form of delay or handicap. How are kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges handicapped? Not the ideal politically correct word, of course, but how are they how are they challenging? They are lacking the skills not to be challenging. hope that answered the question. Yeah, we all look out for our own best interests, but being in relationships requires that you look out for somebody else's best interests as well, and that requires skills. And pursuing your best interests in a way that doesn't hurt or harm or embarrass other people, that requires skills too. And if a kid is lacking those skills, sheer force of will on the part of adult caregivers, with, with or without consequences attached, is not going to teach them those skills. Here's another uh, question. Let me just check to see if we have any callers. We do not. Uh, Dr. Green, I just finished reading The Explosive Child, and it explains my six-year-old son exactly. My son is a perfectionist and has a lot of anxiety and stress to do well. He is super well-behaved at school with teachers and coaches and saves his explosions primarily for me, his mother. 
I knew starting first grade would rock his world, and the last few weeks have been awful with explosions. His explosions are getting worse and worse, and I don't know what to do while he's in the middle of them. If I let him just go, he physically and verbally attacks me and his younger brother, and this can go on for over two hours. If I go in his room with him and shut his door, he throws things at me, kicks me, hits me, and screams that he hates me. I don't try to rationalize with him during these moments because I know he needs to calm down. However, I cannot go through being attacked nor having him attack his younger brother because he refuses to isolate himself. Help! It's making home life miserable for everyone. Yes, I can imagine. That certainly would make home life miserable for everyone. Um, Our emailer has given us some information about um, her son's lagging skills. He's a bit of perfectionist, has a lot of anxiety. Um, She's also describing a kid who um, isn't challenging uh, every second of every waking hour. Of course, that's all of them. No challenging kid is challenging every second of every waking hour. No, he's challenging at home. And quite frankly, because he's a perfectionist, it could be that... uh, He's challenging at home over things that have happened at school, and this is not an unusual scenario. While it sometimes causes some folks at school to say that it's proof that they're doing it right and the folks at home are doing it wrong, that's wrong. It's just that sometimes kids don't. This is why I don't like the word trigger anymore. I prefer unsolved problems. Trigger implies that the event precipitating the challenging episode happened immediately prior to the challenging episode, and that's not always true. Sometimes things that happen at school, the kid is able to keep himself tightly wrapped, hold it together, keep it together at school, and then they lose it at home. It's not proof that anything is being done better at school than at home. It's just proof that the kid was able to hold it together at school and then lost it when he got home over something that happened hours earlier. That's not an unusual scenario. But here's the deal. Um, I don't have anything great for people to do in the middle of explosions because, um, well, there's nothing all that great to do in the middle of an explosion except try to keep a kid safe. But in this case, trying to keep the kid safe is getting the mom attacked. Um, I don't know the situation well enough to um, understand whether going into his room is necessary and helpful. That I'm not quite sure about. Um, But here's what I am sure about. Mom, um, we need you to aggressively create a list of the things that are setting in motion challenging episodes so that you can start working on them proactively. Because there's nothing incredible to do in the heat of the moment except keep everybody safe and help a kid calm down as quickly as possible. I don't know if um, it is the school-based unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes at home It could be other things setting in motion challenging episodes at home, like Plan A being done at home. Um, Collaborative problem solving is a crisis prevention mentality rather than a crisis management mentality. And that means that um, we uh, 
want to make our list. We want to keep track. We want to begin inquiring proactively, not in the heat of the moment. When, over what, where, with whom are challenging episodes occurring? And I get that they're happening mostly at home. But we want to hear about any unsolved problems that are at school as well. We want to get the complete picture. And then, as quickly as possible, we want to start trying to do proactive plan B outside the heat of the moment so as to start getting those unsolved problems solved so we don't find ourselves in the heat of the moment too often. My best advice, not knowing this situation better than I do, but this is my advice to everyone, if you find yourself in the heat of the moment, you still have three options. A, and I would say that A in the heat of the moment is certainly going to inflame things further, generally speaking, but if a kid is hurting people or potentially hurting himself in the heat of the moment, then you do need to get him to stop, and occasionally that looks like plan A. Emergency plan B is an option in the heat of the moment. It's not ideal because a lot of, a lot of kids can't give you information in the heat of the moment, which is why proactive plan B is far preferable, but I'm not allergic to emergency plan B. It's just that in a lot of kids you don't get great information that way. I will say it is a good way to de-escalate. Emergency plan B I tend to think of more as a crisis management tool, and that's all right. The goal is to get the kid calmed down, get yourself calmed down, and then figure out what it was all about in the first place once everybody has calmed down. And plan C is an emergent option, um, especially if it's an unsolved problem you didn't really mean to be working on at all. That's where the plan B flowchart comes in. You can download that from the paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance website. Um, it gives you a place to list the three unsolved problems that you're working on and then track them through to a successful resolution. Once a problem is solved, it comes off the Plan B flowchart, and another unsolved problem shows up to take its place. That's proactive Plan B. These are planned conversations. Um, and I understand that early on there, there may actually be a fair amount of emergency B going on as you're trying to pull things under control, and get on top of some unsolved problems. I will also say this. I may have said this in one of the prior programs. I, I usually bring this up. Um, it's usually two or three major unsolved problems that are accounting for 70 to 80% of challenging episodes. You want to figure out what those two or three are and probably start working on those first because if you can, if you can knock out 70 to 80% of challenging episodes after but by solving two or three problems, well, that, that, I like them odds. I like that equation. So my way of helping people in the heat of the moment is to help them organize the effort, get on top of the unsolved problems that are causing them to be in the heat of the moment in the first place, start solving those problems proactively, and let's, let's see if we can avoid the heat of the moment, but not, not avoid by just not having anything to do with the unsolved problems. That would be all plan C. But let's get some of those problems solved, and then we won't find ourselves in the heat of the moment over them anymore.
we have an email from um, a mom who we talked with a few weeks ago. Um, this is a mom who was having trouble getting her son to engage in Plan B. This email just came in. Um, and then she called the following week to let us know how making an appointment with her son to do Plan B uh, was going. And here's an email. Hi, I thought I would let you know how things are going. We finally came up with a solution last night. Set up an appointment prior to meeting, let my son know the topic ahead of time, and doing something while talking, such as eating a snack, bouncing on a ball, riding a bike. If he doesn't know what to say, I'll help out with some choices. This is the mom writing here. I have some concerns about the solution, so I'm thinking of continuing the conversation instead of trying to move on to the next unsolved problem. My concern is that even though we've been setting up appointments, oftentimes my son is not able to keep them because something else comes up that is more interesting to him. Also, I found that I did most of the talking when coming up with a solution because my son said he couldn't think of anything. It was his idea to do something while talking. Any advice as to how to keep things moving along? First of all, thank you for uh, thank you for giving us an update. It's outstanding. Um, I, I I think that if you're concerned about this is always my advice. If you're concerned about a particular solution, then uh, revisit it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't necessarily um, be working on others. Um, but if you're making appointments and your son is not able to keep them, that's an unsolved problem. But, but I think what we're also finding here is that, as is the case with many unsolved problems, you find that there's a macro unsolved problem. Your son was having difficulty engaging in Plan B. And then there's all the little mini unsolved problems that were making that hard for him. Uh, and the ones that seemed to be coming into play for this particular kid is um, him being surprised by Plan B, even though it was proactive Plan B, because proactive Plan B was being done outside the heat of the moment. That's the definition of proactive Plan B, but it wasn't being done. Uh, he didn't know when it was going to happen. There wasn't an appointment being made, and he didn't know what the topic was going to be. So we have fixed that problem. But now he seems to be missing appointments, and I would say that that is a very good agenda for your next discussion. Uh, but then there's that second point. Uh, I found that I did most of the talking when coming up with the solution because my son said he couldn't think of anything. All right. You've got a few options there. Um, you can um, give him a chance to think and then meet again another time. Uh, one of the feelings I'm getting about your son is that the communication part of Plan B is hard for him. Um, it sounds like uh, there's thinking that's being required of him, requested of him at least, in Plan B that's hard for him to do as quickly as we would like him to do it, in which case we uh, can slow Plan B down for him, but we can also um, create opportunities for him to think and then come back to the unsolved problem another time for, for him to have after he's given some potential solutions some thought now I've done that with some kids and the problem is they didn't, didn't give the didn't give any solutions any thought between us taking a break from plan B and coming back to it but you can remind a kid that um, 
It's something you hope he's thinking about because you're looking forward to hearing his ideas when you get back together again. So reminders are not against the law. Um, so that's one option if you want to do less of the talking when you're brainstorming. This is in the invitation stuff of Plan B. One option is to uh, take a break if he's saying he has no ideas and give him a chance to think of some ideas, but not in that one sitting. You'll, you'll come back to it later. Uh, it's not tragic for you to be suggesting solutions. Um, over time, we want fewer and fewer solutions coming from you because over time, while this is collaborative problem solving and while we do take the collaborative part seriously, um, we do want, for real life purposes, the child to begin demonstrating the capacity to generate solutions on his own. But I would say that it's early yet, and so I'm not, I don't have a problem with the adult generating solutions, no problem at all. Um, as for your question, how should you move things along? I think you've answered your own question. I think you want to move things along by um, deciding whether you want him to think of solutions outside of Plan B and then come back to it, or whether you coming up with solutions is at least for the time being okay, because quite frankly, this is a kid who wasn't participating in Plan B at all, a kid who was difficult to engage in problem solving at all. Um, I'm ecstatic with how things are going so far. I think both of those agendas would move the process forward. Got another email uh, from somebody who's listening to the program. It's so nice that both of our emailers so far have found collaborative problem solving at early ages because there's a wonderful window of opportunity that's open now and believe it or not, easier to do when they're younger. It's always possible to do collaborative problem solving when they're older, just a little more difficult got all those, this is not from the emailer, this is me talking now, got all those old plan A weeds to get through when you're trying plan B with a somewhat older kid. This is, uh, emailer is saying, if at all possible, early intervention, the earlier the better, is always preferable. Now you're really being proactive, thank you, to our emailer. And we have another one that uh, just came in, I'm reading it carefully, that's the pause here, usually pauses mean I'm struggling with the uh, technology, but no, I'm reading through this email, let's go with this, this is, uh, this is called, uh, if this person is listening, and I'm not positive that this mom is listening, but um, this is called an immediate response to your question, but I'll also respond by email, dear Dr. Green, we have been actively practicing Plan B with our six-year-old son. We can see it is starting to make a difference, but we have questions. Well, first of all, good that you're seeing a difference. There have been situations when my husband and I just don't know how to proceed without Plan A when it involves violent episodes that may put other children in danger. For example, we know that sticks are a hot spot for our son. He, we were going to dinner at our friend's house and we proceeded with proactive Plan B, solving the problem of wanting to hit others with sticks. He came up with a solution. After dinner, the kids went out to play, and we reminded him of a solution, just, as, just in case. Two minutes later, our older son comes in saying his brother is chasing the younger children with a stick that 
had a nail at the end of it. He found it in the yard and was running around trying to hit the other kids with it. We felt at a loss of what to do. We had to remove him from a dangerous situation with time out so he could calm down. How do you move forward with emergency plan B when someone could get hurt? This morning he didn't want to stop drawing, drawing and join us for breakfast. This is an ongoing problem that we are working on with proactive plan B. What happens when you remind him of his solution and he explodes with throwing something and breaking it, ripping paper up, throwing pencil, knocking down the chair, and he can't calm down for emergency plan B? We resort to plan A timeout to calm him down because he yells, no, I don't want to do my solution. Help. You know, isn't it kind of interesting that uh, we have help in two of our emails today, and help was one of our themes of the day. All right. Let's get down to business here. Good that we have identified trying to hit other kids with sticks as an unsolved problem. The problem is the two examples that are being given here are of a kid who is not sticking with the original solution that he agreed to. That's what I'm hearing. So number one, outstanding that you are doing proactive plan B. I am hoping that in that empathy step of proactive plan B, you are getting a really clear understanding of what the kid's perspective is on hitting other kids with sticks because that would have a major impact on Oops, I just lost the email. That would have a major impact on uh, what your solution could potentially be. Uh, I try to hit them with sticks when they bother me. I try to hit them with sticks when they call me names. I try to hit them with sticks because the look on their face is funny when I do it. I try to hit them with sticks because um, I want to get some exercise and it makes them run and then I can chase after them. I don't know what his concern or perspective is, but I know that if we don't know what his concern or perspective is on hitting other kids with sticks, then whatever solution we come up with may not work because we weren't sure what problem we were trying to solve in the first place. Now, this emailer is telling us that this, the, it's the kid who came up with the solution. Now, that is sometimes a sign to people that they should run with it. No, just because a kid comes up with a solution doesn't mean that he has a good sense of whether that solution is realistic and mutually satisfactory. And I'm getting a bead on this email that we may not fully comprehend, because we may not have drilled far enough on what the kid's concern or perspective is on both unsolved problems, but I am getting a very strong signal that the solutions that were being agreed to, irrespective of who came up with them, that that's really not a major point. Just because a kid comes up with a solution doesn't mean he knows if he can do it. Doesn't mean um, he's clear on whether it even addresses his concerns. I've seen many solutions generated by kids that they didn't have a snowball's chance of actually being able to do. And um, they didn't... Um, have a sense of whether it would even address their concerns in the first place. Sorry, I was looking at another email besides this one. I shouldn't do that during the program, should I? So I'm a little worried that we um, that a kid who's yelling, no, I don't want to do my solution, that that kid may have agreed to a solution that wasn't realistic for him. Back to the Plan B drawing board. Um, 
if you've reviewed a solution with a kid and two minutes after he goes out to dinner, he's chasing a kid with sticks, I can't imagine that the solution that was agreed to was truly realistic for that kid. That's my take. I could be wrong. You're welcome to call into the program next week. We don't have time at this point this week uh, for a caller, but if our emailer is listening today, feel free to call in next week to give us even more details than what we have so far. Outstanding that you're using proactive plan B. The parts that are giving me pause are, I'm, I'm not seeing anything in the email about what your son's concerns were about hitting other kids with sticks or joining the family for breakfast. In both instances, neither solution is being followed through on. That's often a sign that the solution wasn't realistic in the first place, even if the kid is the one who generated it. And it's often a solution that, um, it's often a sign that we may not have gotten a clear enough sense of his concern or perspective in the empathy step of plan B. One of the things I tell people to do in the invitation, which is where you're brainstorming, is um, before you sign off on a solution, consider the odds of the solution working. This is something the adult is doing in their head. Literally asking yourself, what are the odds of this solution working? And if your odds are below 60 to 70%, then there is something about the solution that you're about to sign off on that is giving you pause. Don't do it. Think about what's giving you pause and make sure that whatever is giving you pause enters into the continuing brainstorming so that you can refine or modify the solution accordingly. Um, I've seen many a solution that was doomed, signed off on, uh, in the invitation just because the kid is the one who came up with the solution. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who comes up with the solution. Uh, it matters if the solution is realistic and mutually satisfactory. And so what that tells you is that in the, um, in the invitation, you're not done thinking just because there is a concern on the table, uh, just because there's a solution on the table, sorry. Uh, and, and you're not done thinking just because the kid has generated a solution. You've still got some more thinking to do. Otherwise, you are at risk for signing up for a solution that you knew ahead of time the kid couldn't do. So sometimes I would have parents come into my office and tell me that Plan B didn't work. And I'd say, tell me what happened. They'd say, well, he didn't follow through on his solution. And I'd say, well, tell me the solution. And I'd be listening to it, and I'd be thinking to myself, he can't do that. And then I'd say to the parents, can he do that? And they'd say, no. And I'd say to them, well, then, you know what, we probably ought not be agreeing to solutions that we know he can't do ahead of time. That's not the that's not solving problems. That's wishful thinking. Actually, that's, I don't know what that is, because if we know that the solution's not going to work ahead of time, no reason to be signing off on it. Well, I'm sorry to report that we are uh, near the end of our time together today, and so I'm not going to uh, there's other questions that I have here in the stack, but um, I'm not going to do any more because I can't answer any of them in 90 seconds. And so we're going to call it a day for today. Bad news, there is no program next week. Next Tuesday, no program. I'm going to be in Alabama. 
speaking at an ADHD conference, so neither of the two uh, web-based radio programs will be on the air next week. But the following should be October 26th. We are back in action with uh, Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I hope you have found today's program to be helpful and um, useful, and I hope you have more hope than you did at the beginning of the program. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening today. I just clicked the wrong button. There's the ending music. <laughs> See, we finally did have a technology issue. We waited until the end of the show to have a technology issue, but I finally managed to have one. Talk to you in two weeks.